Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this special episode of Podcast. Stephen, it's always special. You want to know why? Why? Because you're here with me. I know. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. 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 But it's also special because I have no idea what we're going to talk about. Um, I said, Stephen, surprise me. And then he walked in. He was wearing a bunny costume. It was very weird. What? That's that what didn't happened. happen. That, that might have happened. Okay, so uh, since since we're kind of rolling with it today, uh, one of the things that I have seen on a... So actually, you know where, where this came from. I want to talk about something that came up in this Catholic creatives group on okay. Facebook. Okay. So for those who don't know, which is probably going to be most of you, um, <laughs> Catholic creatives is this Facebook group, um, and you can't just join it. You have to be invited. Uh, Gomer's been in it for a while. Uh, I just got my invite about two weeks ago. Embarrassing. I probably should have done something about that earlier. <laughs> Whatever. Anyways, it's it's kind of this group of people that work and serve in different capacities in the church, whether mm-hmm. that be at parishes, dioceses, uh, or nonprofits, Non-pro- yeah. or even for-profits that serve the church, right. uh, but are trying to do things and be creative and, and bring the richness uh, of, of the church, you know, um, I don't know, to the forefront through different things like design and marketing and communication and art and music and podcasting and all these sorts of things. So anyways, one of the topics that came up recently was kind of, it was kind of, I think, branched out of, you know, all the different things that are kind of chaotically going on in the church right now, which is, should we have large diocese, like mega diocese, like the Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston, or should we have smaller, more regional diocese, not even regional diocese, like more local community-focused diocese, more like what you see in the country of Italy. So to give you an example, the country of Italy uh, has probably over, I think it's like over 270-something diocese, yeah. rough estimate, whereas in the U.S., uh, we have less than that. Yeah, we, it, the whole U.S. has something like 217 as opposed to like 250, 270 for Italy. Right, so you think about the entire nation of Italy probably has population of like what nine million? Yeah, and it like fits in the state of Florida or something like that. It's like <laughs> yeah, the same size. Ma- yeah. So when you think about that, why, why does that matter? Well, it matters because um, what is your proximity as a Roman Catholic to your bishop? Right. When was the last time you sat down over a dinner with your bishop? Right. Well, I had lunch with Cardinal Donardo like two weeks ago, but that's, I mean, you know. <laughs> I've been trying to get into his office I'm for months. I'm just going to brush my shoulder off. <laughs> but you start I to think about this. I may have forced him to sit at my table. That might have happened. <laughs> but, then, but then you take a step back and you say, how does the priest have access to the bishop? Mm. Right? So one of the things that it concerns. So in the Catholic Church, in social justice, yes, Catholics, there's a thing called social justice. Uh, there's some people who think that there isn't. And, it, and it's not a political left or right thing. Yeah. It's a gospel thing. It's a gospel thing. Go on. So one of the principles is subsidiarity, that a problem should be handed, handled at its local most level, and if it's incapable, then it expands outward. So a neighborhood should handle it, a family should handle it. Well, maybe the municipality needs to get involved. Maybe the state needs oh, this problem's too big for a state. The federal government should get involved, right? right? So that's kind of like the way that we kind of look at it through our American eyes. When you look at it... Through when, our Catholic eyes. Yeah. Well, through I mean like American in terms of the way our federal national yes, system yes, is set yes, up. Yes, 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 yes. But then you look at it from a Catholic perspective, and you realize that the bigger the thing is, the more difficult the contact is with the people at the top, right? You have less dispersion of power. You have less relationship as well. 
And so what you can tend to do when it comes to the Catholic Church, and this is true of bishops, this is true of presidents of for-profit and non-profit organizations that are just big, is that the bigger they are and the more hierarchical it's arranged, the more difficult it is to get to the person at the top, but also the more alienated the person at the top is from everyone else. And what they end up doing is drawing on their experience from their past rather than the experience of people who actually have, quote-unquote, boots on the ground to make decisions, which often leads to the wrong decision. Why? Because of access. People don't have access to the people at top. So the best CEOs are like Home Depot. The, the, the guy that was the president of Home Depot is a fascinating story. He was a lawyer, been a part of Home Depot for years. The board unanimously voted him to be the next CEO. He had never run anything in his life. So he bought a bunch of this guy named Andy Stanley, who's a uh, non-denominational um, evangelical pastor who has a bunch of church leadership DVDs. He bought them all, watched them on the private jet as he flew to Atlanta, and then ran his whole company based off those DVDs. And one of the number one principles was the more the leader is removed from the people, the less effective he's going to be. Totally. So when you think about it from that perspective, I think it is a borderline – I mean, it is, it is a horrid shame to have mega dioceses. Yet, there are some benefits. There are. Right. And, so that's and, what we want to talk about. Yeah, and, and just to, to your point about that, like that's why here at St. Anthony's, we it's almost expect, it is expected, I think, of all of our staff members that are parishioners here, that they go to Mass here, you know, that they yeah. are active in the life of the community, that they're participating in some ministry um, outside of maybe the one that they, that they formally run. Yeah. Um, because it's important that, we as staff members of this parish have an understanding of like what it's like boots on the ground. So I, I'm a big fan of the principle of subsidiarity. Um, it's, it's based in scripture, you know, um, when, when, you know, Jesus tries to tell us to go and resolve our issues with our brother first, uh, before we bring it to the the leader of the community. So it's a beautiful, uh, aspect of, of Catholic social teaching and, and really you can even run your family that way. Uh, so it goes to, from well, the highest to the lowest levels. Yeah, but. so think about the story of King David, right? So he's in his 50s. He successfully subdued the enemies round about Israel. He is rich. He has a palace on Mount Zion. The temple is about to get constructed. Like, things are going well for David. And the story opens of his fall with the story, with the words, um, it was summertime when kings go out with their armies to war. And David remained in his palace. And if you miss it, you don't realize that the armies are going out, but the, this king now has been like, you know what, I'm done with all this. I'm done with defending the homeland. I'm done with fighting with my men. I'm going to stay back fat and happy in the palace. And what happens? He sees Bathsheba. They have an affair. He blames you know, the, the whole murder of Uriah and all this stuff. It is a crazy, crazy story, but it all starts with the untouchable leader. Right. You know, uh, I heard one guy say, you know, the, the problem with leadership, is, like when you become CEO, all your jokes become funnier. Right. Magically, you become funnier. It's not because you're any funnier. It's because everyone feels like they have to laugh. That's right. And so this, there's an element of untouchableness that if you keep leading by fiat, you're only going to become more untouchable. And the more untouchable you are the more you will lead by fiat because you won't understand why people are frustrated. They just need to get with the program kind of mentality. So that's the danger. That's one of the dangers of, of overly big 
diocese right and sometimes so right it, sometimes it's not even the fault of the leader right right you know? it's the system or yeah, whatever I, I mean created. i can't even imagine you know after the pope is elected uh to the to the the chair of peter whenever there's a conclave the first thing he does after he walks out of the sistine chapel is he goes what's in he goes into what's called the cry room yeah. and it's literally just a place where he can kind of weep for the the, the task or the burden of what's been placed on his shoulders and i and, you know, I've always thought, oh, that's such a beautiful thing. But in more recent times, I've thought about, like, I've actually tried to place <laughs> – I know this is a shocker. I've tried to place myself on the chair of Peter. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, but put myself in, in your heart, shoes. you're already there. Uh, that's right. Um, <laughs> Director. In, Pope Stephen the Great. Uh, <laughs> anyways, but, but seriously, like, placing myself in his shoes, and I'm like, I don't know that I could do it. How do you manage a billion people into, you know, anything? You know, right, I mean, right. there, there's the story of Pope Benedict that – uh, there was a bishop that asked him why he couldn't just, you know, make something happen in the church. And he famously pointed at the door and he said, because my authority stops right there at the door frame. Yeah. Which is sad because we, we respect papal authority and we think so highly of that. But the reality yep. is humans are humans and humans are going to do, you know, what they're going to do. Um, and so to be a shepherd of a billion people is really hard. But that's not what we're really trying to talk about. I'm just kind of you know, getting setting well, up the Well, it goes frame. to the bigness of the task at hand. Uh, that's right, of leadership the in the church. The bigness of being the Pope. The right. Pope was the Bishop of Rome, and when heresies and controversies would spill outside of any one particular diocese that it affected many, the Pope would intervene. So you have St. Clement of Rome intervening in Constantinople. Yeah. You have things like this that have happened throughout the history of the church. But to kind of dial it back, the original understanding of the bishop, it was one city, one bishop. Right. So, you know, back in the day, they had city-states and then the surrounding agrarian land that fed the city-states. So you have villages where the reason where we get the word village is where a Roman villa was built because a villa, which is a landed wealthy person, could support basically a town's worth of people and workers and all this stuff. You weren't a village, or you, you became upgraded from a village to a town when you had a church built in the Middle Ages in that village, right? right. So there's all these fascinating dynamics. But if you step back and think about it, St. Augustine's diocese had less people than our parish church. Oh, yeah. Most of the, most of the ancient dioceses yeah. had less than our parish church. It's crazy when you think less about it. Less than just St. Anthony's. Right. So when you think about, like, what is a city? Yeah. Is the Woodlands a city? We have skyscrapers. We have now suburbs forming around it. Now, the problem with Houston is also it's blessing, a lack of zoning. So Houston just kind of spills into Umble and Tomball and Spring. It doesn't really have like, oh, now I'm in the burbs yeah. until you get into the neighborhoods. But you have this, this idea of like back in, in medieval times, the woodlands would be a city a that would city. have a bishop. Yeah. yeah, we have 170,000 people living yep. here. And then, you know, we're going to get a million people in 15 years or whatever. In Montgomery like County, yeah. There should definitely, in the Middle Ages, we would have absolutely been our own diocese, yeah. if not maybe more than one in Montgomery County. Yeah, and now our diocese goes all the way out to, like, Navasota, almost mm -hmm. to College Station. Mm -hmm. And then you got the Austin Diocese that's like a, a diamond that dips all the way down to there. It, 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 it's insane. It's insane. And you've got to travel an hour north before you get into the Tyler Diocese. Right. And I know that because I go to the Ferguson Unit Prison, and that's just on the other side of, of uh, Huntsville where the Tyler Diocese starts. But if you were to think of it in terms of getting the bishop close to his people, and his people can be his priests. Yeah. His people can be us as normal parishioners. 
the church divides it into what we call the local church. And the local church is the diocese. When I hear local church, I think the parish. The parish is a cell within the local church. Right. A lot of people don't understand that. They think a local church is a parish because our parishes are ginormous. They're huge now, especially in the southern United States where you yeah. know, we don't have the neighborhood parishes as much as we do these more regional yeah. suburban parishes. Now, Stephen, what's the benefit? Of yeah, a big diocese, that's big right. parish. So let's even. talk about the benefit of big parishes and big dioceses. So the benefit is it's a pooling of resources, right? We're not having to go through like what they're going through in the Northeast and the Midwest as much, uh, which is because they had a Catholic church built on every street corner, they're now having to consolidate all of them um, because it's just it's too much, you know, as modern society uh, becomes more postmodern, um, it's, finan- it's too much of a financial burden. There's not, excuse me, there's not enough clergy to go around. Um, There's all these sorts of different things uh, that are taking place, and that's why, you know, you're seeing all that. Now, the benefit, the other benefit when you talk about resources is staffing. It used to be that all of these, you know, there's enough clergy to go around to run, you know, the parishes and the nuns running all the schools and all that sort of thing. We don't have that now. So you have to be able to pay a living wage uh, and a just living wage to lay people to run these different institutions. Well, how do you do that? It's not by having smaller parishes and smaller dioceses. It's by having larger dioceses and larger parishes. So there is a benefit to that. There's kind of a, a level of quality, you know, that you can kind of get in terms of what you have as a, a larger parish or diocese. So great example of this would be like some of the things that we have at St. Anthony's. I think a lot of our parishioners, I love our parishioners. I'm one of them. But they totally take for granted, and they don't even realize that it's me, isn't it? It's you. No, no, no. <laughs> I mean, like you know, like our website, or, or you know, you, you know, some people love it or hate it, but like our website is extremely progressive for a Catholic church. I mean, I I talk to parishes all the time around the country, and they call, and it's you know, it's like two people on staff, and they're like, "How did you do that website?" And I'm like, "Well, we have a lot of resources, we have a lot of support to be able to provide yeah. um, a level of digital evangelization that your average tiny parish." Right. Not only can they not do it, but they really don't need to do it. Right. They know the 100 families in their town. Right. Um, and so that's some of the benefits, I would say, right off the bat. Um, you know, the other benefit is the ability, I think, for the church to – and I, this is going to sound negative when I say it, but it's not – but impose her will on society, if you will. Yeah. And, and I mean that in a good way, right? Like the Catholic Church – in Houston, for example, is probably one of the largest charitable organizations in Houston. Yeah. You um, can't miss its weight when it comes down on an area. That's yeah. right. That's right. Not to say that other you know people wouldn't come in and fill that void necessarily, but the reality is, is we have a strong charitable presence in this city, and and that's notable. And so there's a benefit to that when you start talking about things like you know, well, we're you know we're pro-life and so we want to have an influence there or, you know, we're, we're against the death penalty. So we want to have an influence there. Our voice matters and our voice carries weight because they know that we're 1.7 million strong in this city. Yeah. 165 plus churches. I mean, that's huge. That's huge. But then you take a step back. So in California, in Northern California, in the archdiocese of San Francisco, I did an event in the diocese of Oakland, which is right next to San Francisco. Right. Uh, and the guy that was there, he's famous, named Steve the Missionary. He's mm-hmm. Catholic famous. Uh, he's probably a D-list Catholic celebrity like me. Um, <laughs> Where am I? Am I E? A. A. We'll say A after the push-pay stuff. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> he does uh, – so he was telling me that in his diocese, there are about 
six, I think he said six dioceses within like what we would say is Beltway 8. Yeah. Right? Because they're right in the middle is the Archdiocese of San Francisco. And then there's San Jose, uh, Oakland, and other dioceses here. Yeah. <laughs> right? But they have all of these dioceses that just ring around San Francisco and the whole Bay Area. Right. Because those traditionally are really distinct populations. And to better serve them, they have multiple dioceses. But they were also based down. off of the early missions in California. Absolutely. Too. Then you go down the mission trail to LA. And L.A. is this massive, sprawling it's diocese. Huge, huge. That, like Bishop Barron. Everyone knows Bishop Barron. He's not a part of the Santa Barbara diocese, which he super easily could be. But the deanery mm-hmm. of Santa Barbara, along belonging to the archdiocese of L.A., and so Bishop Robert Barron could easily be the bishop of Santa Barbara. And the bishop, and some cynical people say it's the cathedraticum, the individual parish tax that goes back to the archdiocese. And so they're like, oh, well, they don't want to get rid of all that Santa Barbara money. And they don't want to get rid of all the blah, blah, blah money because it's millions upon millions. But right. I think it's a cynical view. I don't know if that's true. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't really buy that. But what uh, if we had – the state of Texas has 15 dioceses. What if we had the, the reason I don't buy that is yeah. because if like Santa Barbara separated and became its own diocese, well then all all of a sudden LA also doesn't need to provide as many services exactly. because they lose all those parishes. Exactly. So I mean there yes and no on that. I think that you know it's interesting, like you mentioned Bishop Barron or even yeah. our former pastor here, Bishop Schultz, who's now the auxiliary bishop of Gal- Archdiocese of Galveston Houston. Auxiliary bishops are a relatively new concept in the church. They didn't exist hundreds of years ago. And that's why a lot of people don't realize this. An auxiliary bishop, to be a bishop, you actually have to have an assigned geographical area that is only yours. Yeah. And so because like Bishop Schultz and Bishop Barron, they are not the bi- the archbishop of those dioceses or the bishop of those dioceses. They actually have what's called a titular church, which is a really a diocese that's now kind of defunct in the ancient world that is assigned to them. So I don't even know what Bishop Schultz is. He's told it to me before. We should look it up. But uh, (laughs) Yeah, titular meaning of title only, right, or title bearing, right? So you had famously, you had Cardinal Law from Boston who was caught up in the whole spotlight scandal. Well, he was the titular bishop beforehand of St. Mary Maggiore Basilica in Rome. Mm-hmm. So when he shows up in Rome for the conclave to elect Pope Benedict and Pope Francis, I mean, there was all these protests outside Mary Maggiore, Maria Maggiore. Um, but you do. You have all these things that's very fascinating, auxiliary bishops, right? So in, in reality, a lot of these auxiliaries were created because there's too many confirmations for one bishop to do. I mean, think about this. 15 dioceses in the state of Texas might have worked a hundred years ago, but with the oil boom, with the technology boom, with the growth in tourism in the Gulf and oil in the Gulf and industry growing, Texas is a thriving, Texas is California part two, right? Well, duh. Right. And so everyone's moving here from there. (laughs) That's true. Uh, But you have this experience of the church's diocese. They're not going to necessarily add 20 dioceses. Like I would love it if, the Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston, was divided into back into the original diocese of Galveston, right? Of, you know, maybe the, there's a San Jacinto diocese for the northern the part. The Diocese of Conroe. <laughs> ah, it has a nice ring to it. Yeah. Doesn't it? No, uh, or the Diocese of the Woodlands. I mean, that would be nice. They used to give me a hard time downtown at the, um, 
at the Chancery because we would always complain about having to go down to diocesan events. And I was like, oh, I don't want to have to leave the bubble and drive all the way down yeah. to Houston. And they would like they would mess with us and tell us that, you know, we think we're like the Diocese of South Dallas up here because yeah. they didn't like coming up here either. But <laughs> I digress. OK, really quick side note, because I looked yep. up Bishop Schultz, our former pastor, his titular diocese and church is uh, he, it is the diocese or the city of I hope I'm pronouncing this right, this right, Hyrena, in which is now in present day Tunisia, um, which is totally random. There's nothing of note except for the other bishops, famous bishops of that same province or city, were Tertullian <laughs> in 311 at the Council of Carthage, and Theodore in 641, um, who signed a letter from the Council of the Byzantium. Byz- Byzantium to, to Constantine. That's it. But, and then there's like a whole host and of like more Schultz. modern day auxiliaries. But yeah, so, so Bishop Schultz, I stand in the legacy of Tertullian. <laughs> that is so funny. That's exciting. That is exciting. I, yeah. I can't what wait if to he see showed him. up in Tunisia and was like, what's up y'all? Daddy's home. Yeah. <laughs> Knocked on the door. Well, first we're of celebrating all, mass. I don't ever think that we should refer to any Bishop or prelate as daddy, particularly in today's okay. Fair enough. Age. Fair enough. Okay. So let's just let's just put taken. that out there. Wow, can't believe we recorded that. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, but it's important to note that he has uh, he, he is in the lineage of yeah. Tertullian. So, anyways, so but but I mean, seriously, think about this. How many priests can say that their bishop shepherded them as priests, formed them, discipled them? One of the big things that we talk about all the time. I am getting a little angry right now. But one of the things that we talk about all the time is the need to disciple. So for instance, if you want to get married in our parish, you have to go through sponsor couple training. Okay. What is sponsor couple? An older couple shepherds you, pastors you, loves you, disciples you into the way of Christian marriage. Right? Well, you might've been married for 20 years. Okay. But that's not necessarily a Christian marriage, right? If you were married civilly, you know, non-sacramentally, whatever. How do you incorporate the gospel at the very notion of what it means to be married? It's a discipleship model of marriage preparation and information. That's what we want. We want discipling. And yet, and yet, when we have these mega dioceses, my problem is the bishops cannot, it's not that they will not, It's that they cannot disciple form these men. Now, I know two bishops, I know one personally, and I know another by reputation, who made it their mission as a bishop to try and individually shape and form young men entering the seminary or in the seminary, whatever. So there was Bishop Sam Jacobs, famous charismatic bishop, um, did a lot of the Sumville Youth Conferences. He had a seminary where he, like, personally formed these men. Um, And I had a buddy that was in it, and he's like, you have never prayed like when you're praying with this group. Like my spiritual life soared in this small community. The other one was uh, Bishop Schneer, who is now the treasurer for the USCCB. He was Father Mike Schmitz's seminary, uh, archbishop when he was in seminary. And he said that he would drive out to it's like two hours away to where the seminary was from their diocese. Uh, I think it's the diocese of the Duluth. Yeah, he would drive out there once a month, and he would spend the night in the seminary. You know, he'd have a room. He would spend the night in the seminary, and he would spend like two or three days 
with these men, getting to know them, the future priests. And let me tell you this. Never in my life have I met a group of priests that can compare, that can hold a candle to the priests that I met in the Diocese of Duluth. Wow. Father Mike Schmitz, it's the generation of priests. I shouldn't say generation. It's the maybe like five or ten years after he went through seminary. I met them all because they come to this thing called um, Tobit, Theology of the Body Immersion for Teens. It's a high school conference. I spoke at it twice, and I meet these priests, and I just sit there. They're all different, yeah. right? They're all different backgrounds, all different personalities, but they are there to serve the youth, to pray. To, and, and their fraternity among each other is unparalleled. Mm-hmm. So I went to Father Mike Schmitz, and I said, you did this, didn't you? And he said, Mike, I had nothing to do with it. It was all, say it with me, schnur. 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 <laughs> and when Joseph Cardinal Ratzinger was, lived in Rome as the prefect for the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith, whoo, he did not want to live in the Vatican. He lived in Rome in the seminary for the German priests, seminarians. So be like uh, you know a Catholic bishop from America living in the North American College, College in Rome. Yeah, and he when he wasn't doing his studying and his writing and his work, he was with the seminarians. Well, and I think that when you talk to some of these bishops and cardinals, um, I mean, you know, even Donardo. I mean, here's the thing: Donardo, I think, loves being with the people. Yes. I think he loves being with his priests. I think he loves yes. being amongst the laity. All of that, but he's one man, and he's got like more titles than I could ever imagine, right? Horrific. Like, you know, right Horrific. now the big thing is that he's, he's serving as the president of the USCCB. He's on different councils at the Vatican. He's, he's got all this stuff going on. So that's why we I have... Think, I think he's the archbishop in charge of the exorcist conferences that they have. Really? Yeah, because my buddy's an exorcist lay assistant, and uh-huh. Donardo always presents it. Ooh, you need to look that up and confirm that for our listeners. Nope. All five of them. That sounds like work. <laughs> and I just don't do gonna, work at the church. <laughs> all right, so we're just going to throw out half-truths. There yeah. you go. Uh, no, so, yeah, I, I think that the, the important thing is, like, we need to look at, you know, kind of praying for these bishops. Oh, but, but creating, I don't know, how do we as lay people, you know, almost not demand this, but pray for this within the church, it, is the model that we need to form more intentional and better disciples to go back to smaller dioceses. Um, I, know, I, I remember listening to this person. I t- want I want to have to refer to Father Tom as your excellency. <laughs> <Man>. <laughs> I have so many things going through my head. I know he listens too, so I'm not calling you your excellency at work tomorrow, Father. Sorry, Father. I will <laughs> if you, you can make it. me a director. <laughs> uh, Pope Stephen the first. Um, no, uh, think about it in terms of. Or I, I had a friend who said this to me. They said, imagine when, when you were a youth minister, imagine the worst thing that happened during your tenure. You find out that a, a teen hurt themselves or killed themselves, or right. you found out that a teen lost a parent, right? And all of a sudden, you're the one who has to go and tell that person, or you're the one that has to go and co- uh, help that family cope with the loss. Mm-hmm. And they said, now, imagine something awful happened. Someone hurt someone, you know, whatever. They said, imagine that, that the worst one that you got Imagine you get that every month. That's the life of a bishop. Mm-hmm. The bishop gets all of these things, mm-hmm. and they have to carry these burdens. Yeah, because Car- we, we kind of see it at a parish level and even not fully what Father Tom sees, obviously. In a million – like, people don't understand. Sometimes people come to our clergy 
in what, what Freud called displacement, right? They're angry about something. They're going to take it out on the clergy. Yeah. And they have to just bear it. And, you know, every as ideolo- Christ did, as Christ did. Yeah. Every ideological or even just agenda driven thing. It's yeah. like, Father Tom, you're supposed to have all the answers and do this right now. Now, I pretend like I have all the answers, but people don't do that to me because I'm not clergy. Right. And so you have this experience. And this is what I would say. If we could make that desk that has all that paperwork half the size by cutting the diocese in half. For the bishop. Yeah. yeah for the, that would be, I think that would be heroic. And I think it would be a blessing to the bishops. Yeah. I think it would be a blessing to the priests. I don't, I, uh, but of course, you know. I think to, you might see a resurgence of vocations to the priesthood. I mean, imagine if you knew and loved your bishop. Like, right. and you were known and loved by your bishop. Right. I think as a priest, that would be very meaningful. Yeah. But they dwell in unapproachable light. <laughs> you know? Right, right. Right. So that's my, my argument for having, I think in, in the United States alone, we could double or triple. Uh, the amount of dioceses. I mean, yeah, what if I we mean, had... there are, there are some small dioceses. Like you know, I yeah. think like the diocese of Steubenville is pretty small. Um, so like those people out there, they get to know their bishop really well. Um, you know, so, there's some small dioceses that have a larger geographic area, but they have a smaller population as well. You and then you got the archdiocese of Denver, which has both a huge population and huge geography. Right. It's crazy. All the way up to Colorado Springs and yeah. like it's everywhere. Yeah. And the the bishop there has been appealing cuz the bishop told me he's like my diocese is way too big. I can't serve adequately the people in Colorado Springs and the people here and here and here as well as minister in Denver. Right. And when you have your bishop saying it's like okay, well then let's let's raise up more bishops because I'm going to tell you this is one of those things where more is better. Yes. Oh, I agree. I yeah. agree. So I think so. We've talked about it. We said we were going to compare the, the the good and the bad of both. I think we've really just both settled. On <laughs> we want it small. <laughs> we want it smaller. But that's not because we dislike our bishop. I, we love Cardinal Donardo. We love the Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston. We've both. And served. I'm not just saying that. I ardently love Archbishop or uh, Cardinal Donardo. Yeah. He is. He has a passion for the fathers of the church. One of his best friends is in Pittsburgh. He's a priest. One of my really good friends, Dave Van Bickle. Full disclaimer: I do a podcast called "Every Knee Shall Bow" with Dave uh, Van Bickle. I mean, one of your many. One of my many. Uh, I want to do this for a living. What? I didn't say that out loud on a parish podcast where You're I'm employed fired. at that parish. Um, <laughs> that'll give myself the title of director. Uh, <laughs> then, uh, but Dave. So Cardinal Donardo went to my my his best or, you know, one of his good friends, this priest, and my friend Dave, and they were all having lunch together. And he said, you know, what are you reading right now? And Colonel DiNardo said, the fathers of the church. And he said, that's mm. all I ever read. That's all I ever will read. And he was like, what, really? And he goes, take one year, read the fathers of the church as much as you can. Yeah. He said, your preaching will be totally different. And it is. Yeah. I mean, Cardinal DiNardo. He's I, a cut above, I, man. I feel like we're putting words in his mouth. But if I, I feel like if he were sitting right near, he would just be like, I just want to be a pastor. I, like, And not a pastor in the corporate sense, but yeah. a pastor in the... I want to be with the people. In the shepherding yeah. sense. Like yeah. a church father. I mean, think about the church fathers. They were brilliant theologically. Yeah. They were brilliant scripturally. They were brilliant pastors, and they were brilliant theologians, right? Yep. They had the full gamut, or preachers. They had the full gamut, right? And they had to. They had to. Yeah, so one of my uh, one of my coworkers when I was in Atlanta, she actually was also from Pittsburgh earlier on in her life, and when her husband and her first got married, they were parishioners at Cardinal Donardo's parish. So they had him as a parish priest. 
and like they'd have them at where, where is this this in is pittsburgh? in pittsburgh yeah oh oh and, really was it at saint john and paul catholic parish i don't know where i talked at a hall called the <sighs> cardinal Donardo hall i don't know. and i'm gonna do a parish mission for him in 2020 he probably was at more than one parish <laughs> gomer gosh <laughs> trying to one-up me in the middle of my story i know anyways i'm so, so you <laughs> humble yourself uh <laughs> humble yourself in the side of pope steven can you get that on Echo? I will. I will. Okay, you deserve it. Uh, no, but so, <laughs> so yeah, my, my friend Kathy that I used to work with, she, she used to tell me, like, when they had Cardinal DiNardo as just Father DiNardo and he would, like, lead Bible studies, so she said it was the most amazing experience they've ever had with, like, with a parish priest was just having him as their pastor. And so I think, I think anything we can do as church to encourage that and, and make – make that path available as a global church for smaller diocese and kind of, it's the same idea as like why we try and create community groups within these larger parishes is you have to have that core base. It's why Jesus started with 12 and even within that 12, he had three, he was closest to. Um, and so I think we've got to, we've got to look at that principle of subsidiarity. We've got to look at that community model. We've got to look at the dangers of being untouchable. Right. And really I just want it because I want St. Anthony's to be a cathedral because then I would get moved up from like a director to like, I don't know, chancellor. Yeah. Yeah. You would be the chancellor of the dice <laughs> over my dead body. Oh, Steven. come on. That could happen. <laughs> wow. Wow. We covered a lot of that. imaginary ground. That's <laughs> <laughs> never going to happen. Yeah. So Stephen, quick, quick take as we end this episode. Yeah. What's the difference between a bishop and an archbishop? Uh, the metropolitan, uh, city, right. Or the metropolitan seat that it, yeah, which is the reason why we hyphen Galveston, Houston, because Galveston came first. Right. But Houston's really the city center. So they're like, we're going to combine these dioceses. Yeah. Because Galveston would never be an archdiocese because it's not truly a, what's the other archdiocese of Texas? San Antonio. San Antonio. Which I've always wondered why Dallas wasn't, but it's because I believe the population of Catholics versus the amount of people that are in that city or region. Yeah. I believe. And it's not and just it's also pop- split between Fort Worth and Dallas. Yeah. Their and diocese. Fort Worth and Dallas, yeah. They're their own diocese, which is fascinating to me. But the um, – so one of the things that people don't understand is there is a hierarchy within the hierarchy. So there are bishops, priests, and deacons. Yeah. No one can be a priest on his own. He has to be incardinated, and that means he is basically a priest is a delegated carrier of the office of holy orders. So that's why you were saying every bishop needs a location. Right. It's because so does every priest, and every priest participates in his bishop's authority. Yeah. So you can't be a priest and just go wander the state. You have to be in a diocese. And so... Um, so you have bishops, priests, and deacons, but you also have archbishops. And it's not like those archbishops are specially more bishopy, but those metropolitan heads are supposed to have kind of like pride of place over the other bishops. Right. And so um, tying this back to the scandal, as everything in our life sadly does, <laughs> uh, the one of the models set forward to hold bishops accountable was that people, I shouldn't laugh. Sorry, I shouldn't laugh at that. It's, <laughs> no, just, but it's, it's a laugh of misery. Go on. Yeah, um, <laughs> was that you could report to the local archbishop or the regional archbishop. Yeah. Right? But then the problem is, what if the problem is the archbishop? Right, yeah. You know, yeah, or yeah. what if he's in a good old boys club with the other bishops? And so n- none of this seems to be satisfactory. No. But, uh, yeah, I do think – I do. Uh, the other reason I like the idea of a smaller, di- smaller diocese and, and more frequent ones is it's a lot easier to hold your bishop accountable – 
when it's more at a local level yeah. because you you have more access to them. You know what they're up to. Yeah. And they need that. I feel like they would admit they, they need prayers and they need to be held accountable because they're people. So anyways, let's end this on a high note. Me singing. No. Okay. I just want to finish this off by encouraging everyone the next time you see Bishop Schultz to ask him if he's been to Tunisia lately to take care of his diocese in Tunisia. <laughs> hey, Bishop, how many Nisias do you have? What? You got two. Two. Uh, <laughs> that's the lamest uh, joke you've ever I'm really told. trying. It's so late. I've only had five cups of coffee today. Wow. We got to talk about that, too. I got to go to the bathroom. All right. Well, peace out, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>